the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Even though we've sinned and done wrong and displeased Him and disobeyed Him, that God's mercy is poured out upon us and His grace is given unto us. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But God loves us so much that when we put our faith and trust in His only remedy for the salvation of our souls, which is belief in Jesus as the Son of God who died for our sins, God pours out His grace, His forgiveness, and His mercy towards us, and we don't have to suffer the consequences for what we've done because that's what Jesus paid for on the cross. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind us that Jesus has taken the penalty for our sin and secured our eternal life in His presence. If you've been having a bad day, or a bad week, or even a bad year so far, just let that truth sink into your soul. Jesus died for you, and you get to spend eternity in paradise, basking in His overwhelming love and goodness. No matter what you're going through, that is amazing news and can bring joy and peace in the middle of the worst storms this life throws at you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 19 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Revelation chapter 19, and we're going to pick up at verse 11. Uh, But again, just to kind of orient ourselves, what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to orient ourselves, then we're going to go through the actual text here, and then I'm going to give kind of a synopsis of the second coming of Christ, because that's what we're talking about. Here's again our timeline, and it's important to always distinguish when we start talking about the second coming of Christ, what sometimes people don't understand that we need to clarify is that the second coming of Christ really has two phases to it. There is the first aspect of his second coming, which is when Jesus only comes in the clouds and he, uh, he raptures his church, he seizes his church, he takes his, he takes, uh, his bride up to heaven. That's, that's known as the rapture. First, First Thessalonians chapter four says we shall, um, you know, the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Caught up together is harpazo in the Greek. It is raptus in the Latin. That's where we get our English word rapture. So there will be a generation that is taken 
physically snatched from the earth. Jesus comes only in the clouds. Trumpet call of God is sounded and he takes his bride home. Then there's going to be a period of tribulation after that on the earth. People will still be able to get saved, to come to faith in Jesus. It's just going to be a lot more difficult. The circumstances will be a lot more excruciating. There will be cataclysmic and destructive events happening on the earth at the hand of God. It's all part of God's final wake-up call to rouse an unbelieving world. And so Jesus only comes first part of his second coming, only in the clouds, trumpet call of God. Church is taken up to meet the Lord, and so we shall be with the Lord forever. The second aspect, however, of his second coming is what we're going to be focusing on tonight. That's the last part of chapter 19. This is when Jesus actually comes back to earth itself. And he is going to bring the saints with him who have been up in heaven up until that point. And so he comes back to earth. And we're going to talk specifically where exactly, because the Bible tells us where exactly he returns. Uh, we just don't know when, but we should still be ready because God has told us of these things in advance in his word. Uh, but as I mentioned last week, Revelation 19 is about sounds and sights. John writes about things that he sees uh, and hears. Uh, the first part of chapter 19 that we covered last week were about the sounds that he hears. And he writes about things that he hears in heaven. The second part we're going to see tonight are about things that he sees and the sights are about events that move from heaven to earth, culminating, culminating in the second coming of Christ to earth and the punishment of the Antichrist and the false prophet. So that's what we're going to be looking at, the, the sights uh, tonight from the last half of chapter 19. So as we mentioned last week, the, the sounds that he hears in the first part, I heard, verse 1, heaven rejoicing over the destruction of the great harlot. That was chapter 18 and 19. And then I heard in verse 6, heaven rejoicing over the wedding banquet of the Lamb. So that's where we left off. We're going to be now verse 11. And uh, let's just uh, pause and pray and commit our Bible study to the Lord now as we pick up our study in verse 11. Let's, let's pray first. Father in heaven, we thank you now as we open up your word. Uh, we look forward to your imminent return. It is the hope of the church, Lord, as we start to get weighed down by things of this earth. We need to be reminded, and we thank you that you remind us in your word that you are coming again. You are coming again to take us from the earth, to rescue us, that heaven is our ultimate reward, that we're only really passing through this world, but our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. So guard our hearts until that great day, Lord, and may you find us faithful, watching and ready, anticipating your imminent return. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. Blessed as we study it together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you'll notice in verse 11, he says, now I saw, circle that, that is the first of the things that he sees here in this last half of chapter 19, and to summarize uh, the verses that we're going to read, he sees the second coming of Jesus with the saints. And so verse 11, now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. So for those of you who have always wondered, are animals going to be in heaven? At least horses. And dogs. That's my personal preference, okay? 
I don't have a verse for it, but anyway, at least we know what horses are going to be there. And, uh, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. Of course, that's a reference to the Lord. So we have this picture of Jesus returning, riding on a white horse. Now, I'm going to talk when I give the synopsis at the end of going through chapter 19 about the interesting contrast between his first coming and his second coming. But just as a preview, I'm sure many of you are aware, remember his first coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday was on what? A donkey. His second coming on what? A white horse. Two very different beasts. The first one is coming meek and mild. He's riding on a donkey. The second coming of Jesus, he's riding on a white horse. That's war. That's victory. That's our Lord who's coming in might and power and as king. And so it's very different. His second coming versus his first. Notice his title there, Faithful and True. Back in uh, Revelation 3, verse 14, remember the seven letters to the different churches. In Revelation chapter 3, 14, when he identified himself to the letter of the church at Laodicea, he identifies himself with that title, the one who is faithful and true. That's our Lord. And he comes in righteousness. He judges and makes war. So he's coming as a warrior. You know, first time he comes as a savior. Second time he comes here as a warrior. And it says in verse 12, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. So, you know, he's got, he's got justice. Uh, that's the intent here. So it's this picture of one who's coming to judge and to make war. Eyes like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. I don't know how he juggles all that, but it says many crowns. And the Greek word for crown here is uh, diadema, and it is uh, different from other references in the book of Revelation, which speaks about a crown, Stephanos. The Stephanos crown that the Antichrist wears was the equivalent of a laurel wreath when back in that day they would run the Olympic Games and then they would get a crown. This is diadema. This is a majestic, royal, kingly crown, very different from the Stephanos crown, just, you know, made of laurel wreaths. So it's a picture here. He's coming in might. He's coming in majesty. He's coming in power when he comes again. And he had a name written, uh, NIV says, on him, But I'm reading New King James, and it doesn't have that uh, prepositional phrase. But he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. So he's coming, you know, in this, and we'll talk more about why is his robe dipped in blood. This is, this is not his own. We're going to talk in a moment about the significance of that when I draw the contrast between his first and second coming. But notice his name is called the Word of God, the Word of God. The Greek word for word is logos, and uh, logos means expression. It means uh, word or speech. But back in Greek culture in the first century, Uh, In Greek philosophy, they always understood logos to mean divine revelation. So when John is using this term, he is using it to express a, a term in his day that people would have understood that when Jesus is spoken of as the word of God, he is spoken of as the divine revelation of God himself, that he is the personification, the revelation. He is God in flesh. John will like this word. You remember in the gospel of John, same writer, He begins his gospel in in chapter 1 saying, uh, in the beginning was the Word. 
And the word was with God and the word was God. It's that same word, logos in the Greek, the divine expression of God. You know, it's interesting that uh, John 1.1 goes back further than Genesis 1.1. Because when it it speaks in Genesis 1.1 about in the beginning, God created. Well, John goes back even further than that in John 1.1 when he says, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That he, he talks about who, who Jesus is and God is even before creation account of Genesis 1. But again, he is that logos. He is that uh, full expression of God, that divine uh, revelation, that divine reason of who God is. He's God in flesh. And verse 14 says, and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now, these are not angels. When it speaks here about the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, uh, one of the best things I ever learned in Bible college was the best, po- the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And so when you glance back up in verse 8, same chapter, just glance back up at verse 8, it, it's, it talks about, um, well, actually, let me, let me read back up in verse uh, 6 so you get the, the full context. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife or his bride has made herself ready. Okay, who's the bride of Christ? the church. We are. So the next verse says, verse 8, and to her, that is the saints, the church, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So it's a picture of the church clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So when you go back down to verse 14, and it, was, and it says, And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. It is descriptive of the church wearing the white, fine, clean linen given to them as the expression of the righteousness that they have gained in Christ alone. So verse 14 is not about angels coming back with Jesus. It's about us. It's about the saints. It's about those who have gone on to, to be with the Lord in heaven before his second coming, we'll return with him. And guess what? We all get white horses too. So there's a lot of white horses up there. And if some of you are like, well, I've never ridden a horse before. Well, you will in that day. And it's going to be okay. The thing isn't going to buck you off or, or take you on a wild chase. Uh, I remember the first time that I uh, rode a horse. Uh, that's exactly what happened. And um, that I won't go into that story, but uh, it was supposed to be a nice trot through a field. It ended up being a A strong gallop through the woods. But anyhow, (laughs) verse 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. So this is a picture of Jesus now coming to rule, to judge the sharp sword that with that with it, he should strike the nations. Okay, now remember, this is going to lead into the second thing that he sees. So he's judging the nations that have gathered for the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon is the climactic event that happens at the end of the tribulation period. And it is that event which Jesus comes to settle. He's going to defeat the armies that have gathered for Armageddon. Uh, But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But this is why he's coming with a sharp sword that he should strike the nations. The nations we're talking about are the nations that have gathered against him at Armageddon. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. 
Now, that's interesting because uh, Rod of Iron also in his letter to the church of Thyatira back in Revelation 2.27 tells us that he will also rule with a rod of iron. It is a picture really for us of the messianic rule of our Lord. In fact, in Psalm chapter 2, which is a messianic chapter in Psalms, in Psalm 2, it says this, verses 7 to 9, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. This is a messianic prophecy about Jesus. Psalm 2, verse 8, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So this is the Lord coming again to earth, all right, the second phase of a second coming. And it tells us there the rest of uh, verse Uh, 15, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Now, notice that because this is a picture. He's trampling out the grapes. He he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So the expression that John is using here is basically this, that God's enemies are going to get crushed like grapes in a winepress. That's what he means. And there's a whole other messianic passage about this in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 63. If you want to write in the margin of your Bibles, Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6. I'll read it to you. This is what it says. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? Now listen carefully. This is going to explain why his robes will be stained with blood. This is not his own blood. Listen to this. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments." And I have stained all my robes, for the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth." That's what Isaiah writes in Isaiah 63, first six verses. And he's speaking prophetically about the time that Christ will come and put an end to the enemies that have gathered against Israel and the God of Israel. And his own garments will be stained with the blood of his enemies as he crushes them like grapes in a wine press. We have a hymn about it, right? Verse 16, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there's a name written on his robe, this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and on his thigh. Yes, Jesus will have a tat. (laughs) For those of you always wanting to know, is it okay if I have tattoos? Jesus has one. That's all I can tell you. He's going to have one on his thigh. Amen. (laughs) Verse 17. Then I saw, here's the second vision that he sees here. Number two, he says, I saw verse 17, and just to summarize what we're about to read, he sees the destruction of the armies gathered for war at Armageddon. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. Now, it doesn't mean he's literally in the sun. It just means the brightness, like he sees this angel in the brightness of the sun. 
just reflecting the, the great glory of God. And this is not Jesus himself. This is an angel. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven. This is kind of a, a gross scene here, but this is, this is just what it's going to be. Come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. When the battle of Armageddon happens and Jesus returns and defeats all his enemies, there's just going to be carnage. And this angel will summon these um, vultures, and, and, and these scavenger birds to come and devour the flesh of all that have fallen in the battle. And so there's this, it's kind of a gruesome scene here, but this is, this is what's going to happen. The word flesh there is mentioned five times. It's a picture of, of not just literal flesh, but it's a picture of just, you know, the, the sin of people. And, and notice, you know, when God comes to judge, all stations of life get judged. Because he talks here about kings, captains, mighty men, and he talks at the end there, flesh of all people, free, slave, both small and great. Like God's judgment is not reserved for a certain class of people. If they have disobeyed God, if they've sinned against God, they're going to get judged doesn't matter what their station is in life. God's judgment shows no discrimination. I mean, if we don't get our hearts right with him, we are all subject to his judgment. The good news is when we get right with him, we accept Christ as our savior, that even though we've sinned and done wrong and displeased him and disobeyed him, that God's mercy is poured out upon us and his grace is given unto us. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But God loves us so much that when we put our faith and trust in his only remedy for the salvation of our souls, which is belief in Jesus as the son of God who died for our sins, God pours out his grace, his forgiveness and his mercy towards us. And we don't have to suffer the consequences for what we've done because that's what Jesus paid for on the cross. Is anybody happy about that? Amen. Yeah. Praise God for that. This is a gruesome scene here, but a reminder to us that we don't need, you know, to suffer for the consequences of our sin because if we trust Christ, he takes that penalty for us. I, I do want you to notice, though, that there mentioned in verse uh, 17, he speaks here about the, the come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Um, there are two suppers mentioned here in chapter 19. The other one we looked at last week where it talks back in verse 9 about the the supper of the marriage of the lamb. Um, that's a supper of joy. This is a supper of judgment. Two different suppers happening in chapter 19. The first half is about a supper of joy. This half is about a supper, a supper of judgment. Verse 19, and I saw, so here's the last thing that he sees here. And I saw, which summarizing the verses we're going to read is the punishment of the beast, which is the Antichrist and the false prophet in the lake of fire. He says in verse 19, and I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him. That's Jesus who sat on the horse and against his army. Those are the saints. That's the church. And then the beast was captured, the Antichrist. And with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which 
He deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two, meaning the Antichrist and the false prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him, Jesus, who sat on the horse, and all the, the birds were filled with their flesh. So uh, John sees here, and he writes about the end of the Battle of Armageddon, and, um, and Jesus uh, you know, has victory over all his enemies. And one of the things that he does here, Jesus, is he takes the Antichrist and the false prophet, and he casts them alive into the lake of fire, the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Thanks for listening today to Cornerstone Connection. This book of Revelation that you've been studying with Pastor Gary is one that many have studied and analyzed, tried and tried again to pinpoint on a timeline. When will Jesus come? When will these and times events take place? Have they already begun? There are many questions we don't have the answers to, and we won't until they happen. But there are some truths that we can hold on to. These events will happen. Jesus is returning, and he will defeat Satan once and for all. And all those who have made Jesus Lord in their life will be with him for eternity. What a wonderful time that will be. So where does that leave us? It's important to know what's coming so that you can prepare now and trust Jesus for what we don't know. We must give our lives to the Lord, and we need to give others the opportunity to do the same. We're so glad you tuned in for today's study in Revelation. If you'd like to explore more teachings from God's Word that Pastor Gary has shared, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll also learn more about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel. Come visit us if you're in the area. All the information you need is at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Join us next time for more here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.